And welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who would never vomit mom's spaghetti, no matter how nervous he is. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? I am doing all right, Kieran. Imagine writing a line in a song so good that you can just open a restaurant, <laughs> you know, about it like almost 20 years later. Legendary. Genius. Yeah. And you know what? I think that movie holds up. It's very rewatchable. I mean, it's it's a good it's a good movie. Eight Mile South. Oh yeah, good movie, good yeah. movie. They shouldn't have named it Eight Mile. Now people who don't even live in Detroit are like, oh, Eight Mile. That's like a dangerous area. It's like it's <laughs> it's actually a road. It's not really like a neighborhood. Don't get me started on that. Anyway, yeah, it just sounds cool, you know. Eight Mile. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, last week, Cody, we left off with the tease that you did, um, that you put on the athletic. Your latest roster projection. And you said you're probably going to be wrong. Now, we don't know if you're wrong yet. Oh, I'm sure I was wrong about something. <laughs> but, no, that's the nature of it. It's okay. But I did want to give you a little bit of an opportunity to, like, a week, not quite a week later, but almost a week later, to, do you second guess anything already? Do you, has anything happened this week that makes you think, ah, maybe I would go the other direction? Or where are you feeling confident? Where are you feeling less confident? We'll get into just the general lack of confidence in projecting this team in a little bit. But how do you feel about this roster projection? Uh, a little bit, a little less than a week later. Starting off hot this morning. All right, so I had my initial initial projection written out, and I had Caesar Hernandez on the team, and I had Tyler Nevin not quite making it. And then I thought about it, and I looked at it, and Nevin had been playing well, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna switch him. I'm going to put Tyler Nevin on the team. I'm going to leave off Cesar Hernandez. I was like, Cesar, he's done a lot of good things. He's hitting for contact. But to me, he looks a lot more comfortable at second than third. I think if you're going to carry him, he needs to be able to play third. Uh, I put Indy Abanez on that team. And I was like, they do a lot of similar things. If you carry Nevin, he's more of a corners guy, maybe a little more power. I just think it diversifies your roster. I was like, maybe maybe Hernandez and Abanez are almost redundant. Uh, so that was my rationale. And then week goes on. Tyler Nevin, um, he's got a, an oblique injury. We haven't seen him in a few days. Cesar Hernandez continues to play pretty dang well in spring. If I were to update it, I think I'd put Cesar on the roster. So I think that would be the biggest change. And then the bullpen remains, I just don't know. Miguel Diaz had a very nice week, right-handed pitcher who I, I always thought should have got a longer look last year. He was in AAA almost all year and did really well. They brought him up at the very end. He has great splits against left-handed batters, um, doesn't do anything fancy, but has a has a way of getting hitters out. I like Miguel Diaz a lot, and I'm not sure how you make a space for him in that roster. Uh, the one thing I think I've been kind of ahead on is like, are we sure we're carrying Will Vest in this bullpen? Just mm. because you look in last year, he was solid and did good things. And look, I like Will Vest. There's really nothing to complain about Will Vest, but he hasn't pitched the best this spring. And nothing about him has ever really just lit up my eyes, lit up the radar guns. I, like He seems very replaceable to me and with several other guys pitching well. Um, I'm not sure he's a given. Even the same could be said for Tyler Alexander. Everyone's just kind of like, oh, Todd's on the team because he's been on the team the last few years. I think he's a little different case because he gives you, you know, length, a multi-inning lefty, can kind of do different things. But again, uh, might be a little foolish to not assume these guys are replaceable um, if, if some pitchers who have let's say characteristics that jump off the page a little bit more continue to throw well in spring yeah i mean i look at the names on this uh bullpen candidates and to me it just is a lot of guys that are in the repre- replaceable category you know that, that you're just gonna you're not gonna have long leashes if you are there you know like that's just gonna be the nature of it i think that's that's how I would do it anyway, as well, is relief pitchers to me. I'm putting them in the same category as I am running backs. Like, you love them. If they're great, they're great. But I, I'm not really sure you're looking long-term with a lot of these guys. And and I, I wanted to go back to the infield there for a second, Cody. I 
I want to assess the Ryan Kreidler thing for a second. Because I think he's a guy that was a longing guy, like, last year. It's like, oh, man, wouldn't it be great? You know, you're kind of longing for him to be successful. And I get it. He is, you know, great in the field, fun story, son of a sports writer. It's going to be good good to my heart, you know. College guy, immature. But uh, I think it was Jason Beck. Jason Beck wrote a story this week, earlier this week, and it was basically about Kreidler doing what it takes to win. And to me, that's that's the uh, the old vote of confidence for your head coach, or you know, like if that becomes the narrative for a player, I don't think that's the. <laughs> I don't think we're in the right direction, you know, because who's really not doing the things that it takes to win you see what i'm saying and i don't yeah i don't mean to be like hard on kreidler but i just feel like we're we're in an area right now where is he if, if he's ever is he ever gonna hit and how long are we really going to hold on to the is he ever gonna hit thing like we might talk about matt manning here a little bit later but it we're getting into that category a little bit difference obviously being first round pick versus not but like i i just have familiar emotions whenever Kreider gets talked about because i mean obviously i don't know him but like he seems like a really likable guy and and i he does have that one tool that you really love but we're, we're trying to talk ourselves into him a little bit it's getting me back to the avila era which of course he was an avila draft pick but i just <laughs> I just don't have good feelings about Ryan Kreider right now. And you had written on Sunday, uh, you know, it's still probably too soon to write him off. And I don't disagree with that, but I also, I'm also not necessarily interested in having another guy that you're sort of longing for because there are ones that I long for more that we'll get to in in a little bit. Yeah, I'm not ready to write off uh, Ryan Kreidler at all long term. I right now am of, am of the opinion that he would probably benefit from starting the year in AAA. I just don't think he was ever right last year. Battled the hand injury. Came back from that, by the way, sooner than everyone thought he would, which uh, obviously he was medically cleared to play, but makes me wonder, you know, was the hand still bothering him? Was the field just not right? Was the hand not fully strong? You know, and then I think he had a growing strain, and then he got thrown up and called up in the big leagues, and it, it was a lot. This time last year, I was really high on Ryan Kreidler, and he went through uh, a phase in the summer of 2021 in the minors where he was really hitting the ball, and it was like, are these concerns about his swing? People say he swings and misses too much. Is this even accurate? Well, now it looks like those reports were pretty accurate. He has plenty to work on. Uh, he just looks a tick kind of behind at the plate this spring. That's what spring training's for. I think in Kreidler, we're seeing a guy who needs some time to just kind of get the feel back. And I think he would be a great candidate to start the year in AAA, and he eventually comes up to the bigs, and we get to kind of see if he gets the swing down or not, if he's able to be a little more productive at the plate. I think the degree to which he struggled in the big leagues last year was hard on him. He really looked pretty overmatched at the plate, had some bad at-bats. I'm sure that takes a little bit of a mental toll. Uh, one of the more interesting things with Kreidler, sometimes, you know, I've heard people say, like, who's who's the leader? You know, this young core, like, is it is Riley the guy? Is Torque, like, behind the scenes? And they're like, it's Kreidler. You want a captain? Like, it's Kreidler. His play might not be on the level of those guys, but like the clubhouse presence, the leadership, that's Kreidler. And I, I look, yeah, that's, uh, can be a little bit overwrought with like, he'll do anything to win and, and stupid stuff like that. But I think that trait will bode him well long-term. Um, it's just right now he's, he's not standing out in spring training. He's a fresh 25 for whatever it's worth. His birthday's in November. He's a fresh 25. So, uh, Yes, I'm not writing him off either, but I, it, it it's one of those things. I just don't like the direction the sure. conversation's going. And something that's kind of related to that a little bit is uh, we talked about Jonathan Scope last week. And we were basically the same conversations, like people writing him off. I mean, we, we know all know the situation with Jonathan Scope. However, there's been some 
opinions by people that are, you know, Twitter. They Just got say prominent it. it's voices. Twitter. It's well, <laughs> uh, prominent. I was, but there are some that have like prominent Twitter, Tigers Twitter voices that have kind of put this out there, floated it out there enough that way. I think we have to uh, discuss it. Is you know, like there's there's people talking about Jonathan Scope being left off the team, like you know, uh, to start camp, just eating the seven and a half million and and moving on. And at first, I was like, "What? No, no, we're not, we're not going down that road." And at second, I was like, "What? No, we're not going down that road." That's kind of how I feel right <laughs> now. But 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 you're. But but you're there, you know you uh you know the inner workings of this team very well. Uh, to me, I look at it like okay, so you you move on from Jonathan Scope, so you're just gonna go with Caesar. You know, like you said, has had a nice camp, but is that do you put Kreider there? Do you put Bias there, and then you know put someone else at shortstop? I'm looking for the oh yeah 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 let's do that option if you. If you move on from Jonathan Scope, and I don't have that in front of me right now, Cody. Yeah, I think there are a lot of reasons the idea of just cutting Jonathan Scope is a terrible opinion. And I think you just said the biggest one, who do you like more? I don't think Cesar Hernandez, who's also a veteran, who's also won a one-year deal, bodes any better. Uh, Cesar Hernandez was pretty terrible last year with the Nationals, by the way. And Scope, you have a guy with five years of a 100 uh, WRC+, plus, five years of 20-plus homers. Look, he really struggled last year. He's looked to tick behind the fastball again this year. Um, he's got a couple hits in the WBC, so I don't know. You know, that's better than nothing. There's still some upside with Scope. The guy was a gold glove finalist, and we're trying to cut him to play Ryan Kreidler, who we just talked, we're not really sure if he can even hit AAA pitching right now. Um, I just don't see it. I think if you're the Tigers, you have to see this thing through because, one, you are paying him to say Scope comes out and has a good first half. Well, great trade candidate not saying you're going to get a franchise changing player in return but you can add some depth to your farm if, if scope ends up being tradable um and he's, he's a middle infielder usually teams are looking for a little offensive help in that regard at the trade deadline and say it doesn't work out say it's a repeat of last year and it's bad well okay then you don't have to necessarily play him every day hinch has already made the the comment about he's going to have to earn playing time against right-handed pitching, which was an interesting comment. Um, and then maybe post-trade deadline, you can consider cutting bait. I also think it's important to look at actions and history, and the Tigers did not do that last year with Jamer Candelario or Tucker Barnard or some other guys who there was a pretty good case for just cutting bait. Um, and I think that's more because, like, how does that play inside the clubhouse? How's that look in the league? How are you going to convince a, a one-year guy to come to your team next year when it's like, oh, remember what they did to Scope? They didn't like the way he was playing. They just said, I'll oh, see you. Thanks for your, you know, thanks for your ten years of service in the league. Bye. Uh, and, and especially for a team that's not competing, yep. I don't know that that's a great way to treat people. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Like at the end of the day, it's a competitive business. I was not opposed to doing that with, with Jamer or, or maybe even Tucker last year. Although now it looks like they probably should have brought Jamer back. So this is how you get in this big rabbit hole of, of Tigers discussions. But end of the day, I think the chances that Jonathan Scope is cut before opening day are pretty close to zero. Yeah, I just don't know what the net benefit is. Now, if there was a situation where like uh, Jace, who finally got some spring training action uh, the other day, was knocking on the door, like, you know, and it was yeah, and that's, scope that's situation was the same. That yeah, that yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like if that were the case, yeah. then there's an argument to be made. As of now, I, I guess I guess Andre. I, Lip, I, I guess we're at the point in spring where people are ready to put Andre Lipschitz and Parker Meadows on the opening day roster and and cut everyone else. And that's kind of the <laughs> stuff that comes with spring training. And good for Andre and Parker. They're playing their butts off. They're making a legit case. But you're not just gonna you know, release Jonathan Scope because Andre Lipschitz has three homers in spring training. It's not really how it works. Well, that's an excellent transition. Uh, Parker Meadows continues to rake 
uh, and that's another guy that is that's the hype that's the hype man of camp right is there anyone else that that would compare uh, parker is uh, on the train baby people our twitter <laughs> friends are blowing up some parker meadows now uh I've, fun fact i wrote a story friday all about parker meadows wrote my like notes for sunday first comment i'm really surprised it's not more about parker meadows <laughs> whole story about um <laughs> yeah he only, did you know he only needs 400 homers to pass Al Kaline for the franchise record. <laughs> After last week, we were saying great that look, Parker Meadows is killing it. He's doing great. He is. It's, it's been a lot of fun to watch. I still know if this means he's going to be on the opening day roster. I mean, he's making a real case as we talked about last week that he is better than both Akil Badu and Kerry Carpenter, but you have to take this still with a little bit of a grain of salt. Like, we watched Riley Green, and we watched Spencer Torkelson last year. If you're thinking Parker Meadows is going to come up to the show and and be hitting a homer every other day and lighting the world on fire, I am not so sure about that. Uh, I don't think the chances of him being on the opening day roster are zero, though. Like, if he keeps playing like that, like, it, it's a discussion to be had, and he continues to force the tiger's hand in that way. So that's, that's all very good things for Parker. Well, okay. So one of the things I like to do like for, uh, for us on this podcast is I think we try to thread the needle between like lowering the hype train, but also being realistic. Like that's, that's like, what I'm trying to do is. with Parker. That's where I'm, I'm yeah. it's a hard, tough balance to strike. Yeah, exactly. And I do agree. Cause I, I mean, I said on the pod last week, if, he ends up being the blend of Kerry Carpenter and Akil Badu, then that solves a lot of problems for your roster. It does. But it also doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter. Cause I understand like, like people, like it's an amazing thing to like make the opening day roster. I, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but in the grand scheme of things, it's really not about who starts with the team. It's right. about really who finishes with the team. Right. So he's going to get to Detroit this year. Like, it's, it's going to happen. It doesn't have to be on March 30th or whatever. So, uh, so that right there. But the Kerry Carpenter, Akil Badu thing, that was, like, our big camp battle uh, coming in. And we haven't talked about it all that much, so I wanted to spend a little bit of time on it and sort of assess what I think and then kind of bounce off uh, with you, Cody. I think that Akil Badu needs to make this team. Okay. Why do I say need? I say need because I think there's there's a higher variance of Akil Badu's performance than Kerry Carpenter. I think we know what we have in Kerry Carpenter. I think Akil, there's still that X-factor mode there, and I want to see it To say that I think he needs to make the roster is not to say that I think he'll be the better player at the end of the day. That's a different conversation for me. But I need to see him go which direction more in the major leagues. I need it from Kerry Carpenter, in my mind. And then that play this week, where, speaking of Kreidler, doing what it takes to win, uh, you know, got caught in the rundown and made that rundown last long enough for Akil to get home and score a run. And that's, I feel like this, this energy, this juice, the speed, the, uh, the exciting play is something that this team is going to need because as we said, 2021 manufacturing wins, baseball is going to be a manufacturing win sport this season with the rule changes, the bases and things like that. And I think Akil is going to benefit from that. They're both lefties. So the shift thing applies to both of them a little bit. Uh, but I just feel like that extra oomph is on Akil's side, and I need that on the team. And I think he kind of him on the team makes it a more a more well constructed unit when you throw in like the Matons of the world and the Beerlings of the world, and and, and obviously Riley Green. All these guys that roles are gonna vary in size, but 
also have a, a huge amount of importance. So I I, I like Kerry Carpenter. As I as we said a couple weeks ago, there's nothing wrong with Kerry Carpenter. But I just got to give the juice the edge from Akil Badu. That's that's sort of where I'm landing right now. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. I said at the start of spring, like Carpenter has a chance to hit his way on this roster. If he's just raking, it's going to be tough to leave him off. Well, so far, he's had 23 spring at-bats. Really small sample. Let's give it a little longer. But in 217, he's been very much what we thought he was. Two homers. Dude's got some real power. Dude is not a very good outfielder. And more concerning, zero walks, seven strikeouts. That's been his MO all throughout the minors. Even last year when he was crushing it, does not walk and strikes out a lot. With Akil, he does bring that extra element that I just think helps your team. At the same time, I think we can start throwing a keel on this Kreidler, Matt Manning box of like, is it time to stop talking about the upside, the height, the like, I am, I think out on the idea of a keel Badu ever becoming a 2020 player. Um, There's not a ton of natural pop or game power in the bat. How well is he really ever going to hit? I don't know. The best version of Akil, I think, is putting up tough at bats, getting on base, stealing some bags, doing doing things like that. That'd be a lot more palatable if he were a good outfielder. He's not the best outfielder. Um, I, I still like the overall package of his game more than Carpenter, unless Carpenter just happens to be, you know, hitting the ball out of the park um, a ton. Looking at this right now, you know what? I'm with Twitter. Let's take Parker Meadows North. Let's put him on the opening day roster. <laughs> well, you know, it's also worth noting, uh, you know, Akil is striking out too, and, you know, but he does have the three stolen bags. Uh... <laughs> I, got, I got a fun question for you, Karen. Do you know who the Tigers' spring training leader in strikeouts is? No. Parker Meadows <laughs> with <did>. nine. <laughs> well, he's got like he's gotten a ton of at bats, which is you know which is, which you're, which you're that supposed is a contributing to, factor, yeah. th- which is what you're supposed to do. But yeah, that is that is pretty funny. Also, a guy with a history of a lot of strikeouts. So, so let's keep these things in mind. <laughs> but and that's another thing too. If you're if you're looking at like your fourth outfielder, you're looking at a guy who's. Like, Akil Badu has the ability to get in games, I would say, more than Kerry Carpenter right now. Thousand that, percent. Yeah, Thousand. I mean, okay. you can pinch run on him. You can, you can. Carpenter is there to hit right-handed pitching mostly, and that's kind of all. It'd be, it'd be nice if you could DH him, but you kind of can't do that, at least not very often. I'd rather see uh, Carpenter get uh, first base reps than some of the some of the guys that they are throwing out there. Hard first agree. Base. Hard agree. One of the great mysteries of our time. Why can everyone play another position except the some of the people who it actually makes sense to have play another position? <laughs> like you know, no offense to Lipschitz, but it's like, do I need to see Lipschitz at first base? I'd rather I'd rather see Carey get it, and then you know, in that that Kreidler story. I mean, if you can put Kreidler in center field, right? Like, what are we doing? I feel, I feel like doing? you can put Carpenter. I don't want to hear if the answer. I don't. I don't know. Like I've. This was brought up a couple of times last year, and it was just kind of brushed off by the Tigers. Like, ah, oh, no, we don't need to do that. And I, I haven't asked that question directly this spring. I probably, maybe I should when I get back down to Lakeland. If the answer's like, oh, we just don't think he can do it, I'm going to be upset because it's like, <laughs> all these other guys, we say, like, I don't think he can do it. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, you know, we, we, we think Willie Castro can play center field, but we don't think Kerry Carpenter can play first base. Come on, get, give Carpenter first base glove. Have him, have him field some grounders. Have him work with Tram a little bit. Just if Eric Haas can take grounders at first base, why can't Kerry Carpenter? Yeah, that is true. And again, it's it's just, it's a weird thing where Eric like, Haas has been taking grounders at first base for three years, and he doesn't ever actually play first base. But that like idea is there if it ever needs to happen. Could go down this road with Carpenter. And I'm sure Carpenter is also a guy who will do whatever it takes to win a game. You know, uh, I, I think I think most of the players in the clubhouse, <laughs> if you were to ask them, would you do anything it takes to win, or would you rather lose? They they'd probably go with the first option. 
That sounds like a great column idea, Cody. Uh... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I feel like I've read some columns like that this spring. Well, okay, so go back to... I want to spend a little... Uh, just a quick second on Ibanez. Uh, does his finger injury help or hurt his Tigers chances? Because we talked about this going to the WBC help or hurt, and now he, now he, yeah. now he's resting more. Is that not in terms of like the? <laughs> uh, it's so funny reading these stories. Just a quick side note. It's so funny reading these stories about, you know, like the. Ti- I think it's actually even in their press re- or their injury report that they give out every you know so often. Uh, it's like we're in communication with Team Cuba regarding his rehab. <laughs> I wonder what those conversations are like uh, with the MLB teams and 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 World Baseball Classic teams about. Hey, can you make sure that you know? Player X doesn't do this, please, or you know, you, you have a trainer down there that they trust. I mean, that's probably kind of weird, but uh, but he, you know what Jim Leland said about managing in the World Baseball Classic? He said it's the worst, best job I ever had. Really, worst in that you have to deal with all these outside factors that influence the way you're just trying to manage a, a baseball tournament. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense in terms of Abania's though. I think. I think this guy's playing it right, man. I think he showed up to camp, did some nice things, got out, no chance to mess it up, you know. And we talked about short versus long-term evaluations. I remain of the belief that the Tigers are going to put a lot of stake in his track record against hitting uh, left-handed pitching. Makes him such a good platoon option, especially with Maton. I just think that gives him a really strong roster chance. Added to the fact he showed up, got a couple hits, looked good at third. And deuces see a oh, minor finger injury. Uh, can't really mess up in the WBC. I guess I'll just have to come back healthy for the last week of camp. I think this guy's got the system figured out. I think he needs to write a book. I think I think he, I think he knows exactly what he's doing. Like how to make the how to make the opening day roster as a non-roster invitee by Andy Abanez. Uh Yeah, that's great. That's good stuff. Well, speaking of good stuff. I think we can, I don't know, I'm going to say we. I'll say I, and then we'll see if you agree with me on this, Cody. I have had my concerns with Spencer Turkelson alleviated to the extent that spring training allows. So uh, I wrote down, you wrote about it uh, in your Sunday notebook, and he's hitting the ball hard, which is what we wanted to see. We wanted to see him square up fastballs, and he's doing that. He has nine hits, entering Sunday, nine hits of above 101 exit velo. That's miles per hour. And the unfortunate part of it, actually, is that five of his hardest hits and six total of those nine have gone for outs. And part of that was we talked about with uh, the dimensions and and uh, at Joker over there, and part of it is just hitting them where they are. Uh, I was getting nervous about Torque coming into this. We had kind of talked about it enough about like, it's important, it's important, it's important. There wasn't really a whole lot else to say. You're just kind of hoping and praying that it does like translate a little bit. And it is, it is translating for him in terms of being able to hit the ball hard, which is what he needs to do. And those kind of things over time, uh, go to your benefit. So I I am confident in Spencer Torgelson right now, which is not something I was 100% sure I was going to be able to say as we approach the month that the season starts. So to you, Cody, do you feel like Torkelson has had the spring that he's needed to have in order to feel good about himself or Tigers, Tigers fans to feel confident for the conversation to be going in the direction that is the opposite of which it went last year. And again, the caveat being in spring training, not like what it, what it will project to once the, you know, the games count for real. Yeah. It's, it's kind of complicated. I think at the end of the day, if you were to ask me, is Torque having good spring training? I would have to say yes, because he's hitting the ball hard again. What, what more can you ask of the guy knowing this sport? If you square the ball up, Hit it nine times, probably ten times. One of them didn't have the stat cast radar. Um, exit Velo 101 plus. 
regardless of what happens, you're you're doing your job. You're being productive at the plate. So that is good. I don't quite know how much confidence it actually gives me in Torque in the regular season. It, it makes me feel bad for the guy. Like, do some people just have terrible luck? Like, it seemed even last year in the big leagues when Torque was stinging the ball, it was it was always going right at somebody. Um, and there's no way to explain that. There's nothing you can really ask him to do differently. Uh, you know, hitting the ball to the big part of the field is generally considered a trait of a great hitter. I almost still want to see this guy just pull it a little bit. Like, and it is not a very reasonable ask to be like, well, why aren't these balls leaving the park? But we saw that a little bit in the big leagues last year too. Like kind of this warning track power. So then that's really nitpicking. And I don't think that's super fair. Torque's doing the right things right now. You can't ask that much more out of them. But at some point, these hits either got to fall or they got to leave the yard or something's going to have to happen or it's just going to be more taxing on him mentally. I'm sure he's thinking the same thing. Like, what do I have to do to actually get on base? You know, what do I have to do to get one to go over that fence? Things things of that nature. Um Right now, all signs are good. It's a lot better than if he were just up there floundering at the plate. He's not doing that. So it's that's the sign things are going in the right direction for now. Well, I'll also say, you know, things that can get you get your mind right, get your mind on, on the right track are things like happened this week where he does kind of get one of those yeah. to fall, one of the less sexy hits. And then he turns it into a double with aggressive yeah. base running. Um that that can energize a guy, and again, spring training, we know like it, it, it's it's part of it, but there's only so much that you can accomplish in spring training if you're a guy like him, and I feel like he's done that, so I'm happy with that. So we can say confidently he's going to make the roster, so. uh, <laughs> and we can say confidently he's going to be your starting first baseman. Outside of that. There's actually less things that I'm confident about. And reading your Sunday notebook, it seems like you have a lot more questions and answers with this team, which is actually not out of the realm of what we anticipated coming in. However, it is worth noting, like I said, we're a couple weeks, whatever, from from the season starting, and these questions will get answered. Will they be good answers? I can't really say that, but they will be answered. So I read your story, and I was like, all right, well, I got to figure out what what do we know? What do I know about this team? I'm going to try to get five. Let me get five. All right, all right. It's not easy. I got three. <laughs> uh, because I, I, it was stuff that I, like, I didn't want to just put stuff like, Riley Green's a potential star. Obviously, we all know that. But, it, you know, had... I, we try to go deeper on this podcast, so I wanted to think a little deeper, and I came up with three. Now, the first one's, it sounds easy, but it was actually one of those things going in that you kind of had to see it for yourself. So, Nick Maton and Matt Beerling are going to be starting, in your starting lineup to open the year. Your general starting lineup to open the season. Beerling, I feel like we actually are kind of underselling him a little bit. I like I looked at his numbers, I was like, you know, yeah, like, pretty nice and we know like the the kind of the kind of player the type of player he is i feel like we're not i feel like maton is just kind of like taking it away from him a little bit uh, definitely but Verling has had a nice spring he's got you know the sprain in his knee i'm sure he'll be fine but at least it's something to monitor uh and, and of course you know what more can you say about nick maton the guy's been killing it he's done everything you could possibly have realistically hoped for and he'll be your starting. He's made that third base conversation a little, little bit more silent. So they're going to be in your starting lineup. Those, are, that's one thing I know. I like it. Second thing I know. Second thing I know. Jake Rogers is your number two catcher. I, I love. It's not like Donnie Sands has done really anything wrong, but Jake is just kind of. As much as the battle for a number two catcher guy could explode, he's exploded. You know, like no, he, he's very much been like, "This is my job." You know, I am on this team. Like there, mm-hmm. he has left no doubt, and that's a credit to him and and 
you know, the last vestige of the Verlander trait is working out, baby. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I know Jake Rogers is the number two catcher. And a quick little side note. So you had in your Sunday story a note about Alex Lane being tough to catch and Eric Haas. Uh, what was the stat called? It was uh, Block, blocking rate. Average, yeah. yeah. And we know what kind of pitcher Lang is, and we know that he's your de facto closer, I'll just say. He's your he's your late-inning crunch time guy. Are we – is Jake Rogers going to be your uh, pinch catcher? <laughs> is, like, is that going to be a situation where, like, in the ninth inning – uh, on certain times, you might bring in Jake to to catch Alex Lane, for instance, in the bottom of the ninth, top of the ninth, or whatever, to uh, to get more sure-handed. You do defensive substitutions everywhere else, and if Eric Haas is if Eric Haas is uh, you know that guy that day, and Jake's well rested or whatever, I mean, I don't think Eric Haas is above reproach on on those kind of things. So I. I that's just an idea I came up with. Is there any uh, any validity to that? Uh, interesting question. I don't know. I, I would lean no. I think teams just tend to be pretty cautious in doing things like that with catchers because what if Jake takes one off the thumb or off the mask or gets hit in a bad spot and, and he has to leave the game, then you you burned your other catcher. You know, Then suddenly you got who – Who's your who's this year's version of Harold Castro catching for you in the ninth <laughs> inning? Catching Alex Lang in the ninth inning, then you're in trouble. I would be so deathly afraid of that situation. I'd be like, look, Eric Haas is a pro. He's not a very good blocker, but he's we're just gonna trust him with this. You know what shocked me about that this new stat cast data too? Gregory Soto was like did not grade out that poorly. Uh, I was like, this wow. guy's ball was all over the place, and I think he was. I think he was even like positive in terms of um, blocks, you know, blocks above average or whatever. So sometimes well, the data is interesting like that. I understand Lang's hard to catch. He throws curveball after curveball that they bounce and they go in the dirt a lot of times, and hitters can't hit them. And and good thing is if guys are swinging and missing and hopefully not getting on base, you don't really have to block it cleanly, but. <laughs> Well, the thing is, though, like reading that, and you're like, you know, it's like Haas is your number one catcher, and Ling's gonna be the guy to come in in crunch time. It's not the greatest battery combination there, you know, (laughs) like like just on that specific instance, you know. So I don't know. I I just think uh, that just kind of got me thinking. Okay, so back to the third and last thing I know. Spencer Turnbull's gonna be okay, man. There you go. He's he's gonna be okay. Like I. I, I, I'm not watching these games. I'm listening to them on the radio as I pretend to work uh, in my 9-to-5 job. And the 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 way that, you know, Dan Dickerson po- waxed poetically about uh, about him and the things I read and then I go and see the clip. I mean, I, I, I'm starting to having to catch myself and be like, what is, is, what is this guy's, like, real ceiling? Like, is this some sort of... Uh, is he a breakout candidate in baseball? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going over all these scenarios, and to me, it's making that top three look kind of nice. We have a lot Mm -hmm. of, we have a lot of questions about this pitching staff, and I'm not going to lie to you. I think we might be sleeping on the top three for the Tigers. So, Eduardo's Eduardo. And we haven't really talked about Matthew Boyd yet, but he's got like, was it like 11 strikeouts in five innings, uh, you know, in spring training. And he's also a consummate professional. And then if you bring Turnbull in as your, you know, as the third guy in that group, a guy who could just be pure filthy on any outing, I don't know. It, it, that's that, that you throw in the coaching complex that they got going over there obviously header headed by Fetter. to me it kind of it kind of seems like without scoobal and without mize i don't i don't know if i ever thought i'd feel like oh this you know this top three is like you know you know looking kind of nice 
I think we're not giving them their due. I think this has a lot of potential to keep them in games a lot more than than maybe the projection of this team would have you uh, believe. Man, imagine if Scooble were healthy. Then suddenly, yeah. then suddenly you're getting pretty juiced about the rotation. Yeah, there's there's some good points to that. Eduardo, we don't talk about so much because he's so, for whatever is the deal with him off the field, he is so steady and reliable when he's on the mound, and he's just going to give you five or six solid innings like every time. He's That's a really nice guy to have on the staff. Turnbull, look, I never sold my Spencer Turnbull stock, and I think it's about to shoot back up again, absolutely. He was so good in his first two innings against the Yankees. It was he looks like the guy who threw a no-hitter. And it's like, this guy's fresh off Tommy John, man. He's In theory, he's only going to continue to get back in sync, get better feel for his pitches, get in rhythm. He did wear down and, and struggle in his third inning against the Yankees. But I, I took more away from the first two innings being like, oh, this dude still got it. Like, it was never much of a question. Boyd, to me, has been... Matthew Boyd, <laughs> which is not bad. Like for all the talk of, oh, he's a different guy now. He's like, no, really good slider. Gonna get a lot of swings and misses, and gonna give up homers. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily like a bad. Th- I like Boyd more than a lot of people on Tiger's Twitter. I continue to feel like he's gonna be worth one point five to two WAR and justify the money he received, and you know, probably have an ERA somewhere in the fours. But every now and then, throw you know, seven innings and look great. And every now and then he's going to give up three homers in an outing. And they, that, that continues to be how I feel about Boyd. I don't think it's terrible. Um, and then it's, how are you rounding out? I'm not quite sure what to make of Michael Lorenzen yet. There's some things I really like about him. Things I, I don't know. I just need to watch him pitch more, I feel like. And I don't know if I want to have the Matt Manning discussion. I feel like we talk about it every week. <laughs> Matt's Matt's not having a very good spring, so I don't I don't know what the deal is there. Yeah, uh, there's there are several long Matt Manning discussions to be had, but we're, we're we'll we'll hold, since we know we're gonna have them, we don't have to talk about it. Now. If Matt Manning uh, weren't a first round pick, would we be like, oh no, Joey Wentz should be in the rotation instead of Matt Manning? feel like if not for the name uh, recognition i think i think maybe i can't tell you that you're wrong i can't tell you that you're wrong on that um fun fact as i was researching this uh eduardo rodriguez was born the day after myself did not know that one day later eduardo, wow, eduardo, and, wow. You know, look, kindred spirits yeah look at us yeah. look at us now um <laughs> but yeah i i agree there's a uh Eduardo's so consistent that it's it, it just kind of lends itself to just not even being like, what's the hot take on Eduardo Rodriguez, you know? Like, you can't say he sucks because he doesn't. You can't say he's great because he's not. He's just a steady, good pitcher. And that highly valuable. Highly valuable. I, I, you know, I liked him also coming out of his shell with the uh, the pitch comp thing. And then, of course, it had to be like a side story. Now, like now he's all time. about the scouting report. He's all about the <laughs> scouting report now. <laughs> It was like, you know, we we combined to call pitches or whatever. And I was and in my head I was like, what does that even mean? Like I don't like I, that, I mean someone told him exactly what <laughs> he was supposed to say this time. <laughs> the, the 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 pitch con thing, maybe we can continue to have fun on that, uh, going forward. But but yeah, it was nice to see him come out of his shell a little bit, you know. It was, be, be, it was great. be a leader uh, of the staff, which he is, you know, and and how he how his season goes will determine a lot about the talking points around him. The trade you can talk about trade pieces. Obviously, he's going to be a number one. So, you know, Manning to a certain extent, Turnbull obviously coming off Tommy John, and then you know you mentioned Schoolbull there, Mize and Boyd. How his t- Tigers tenure ended, we didn't get to talk about it last week because we just. You know, we do what we do. We just kind of ramble on for a little bit. It's like, oh, well, you know, that's about how much time we have. But you wrote about this new vamped injury, sports science, injury prevention, like all these like terms that get thrown around now basically mean the same thing. I feel like training uh, in regards to the Tigers. And there's some new faces. There's some old faces and new roles. And this seemed to be the most noticeable 
but less talked about or less knowledgeable aspect of the Scott Harris regime is he completely revamped this thing and it's the formula for coke like we don't really know exactly mm-hmm. what it is we don't really have an idea of what's going on behind the scenes it seems to be that the players are still getting used to it because it, there's not a whole lot of insight coming from these interviews at least that i've seen uh, i know you reported hard on this story and i know you couldn't really say like a whole lot aj hinch quotes about you know there's we're looking at everything and there's not anything that we're doing or not doing and <laughs> you know yeah I do my best to try to help the team win, you know, something like that. So, uh, what, what if anything <laughs> were you able to glean from report on this story, which is crucial? Like the Tigers, surprisingly, weren't as far down the list in terms of uh, games missed last season. Yeah, not as much as it seems. It's it does have so many of those guys were in the minor league IL, though. I think that plays a pretty big factor. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it just felt like the year from hell in terms of players' health last season. And it's also probably something that doesn't get fixed overnight uh, in, in terms of that. And and sometimes there just is no fix. Some guys just get hurt. So I don't know. Like, is there – the the main thing is that if you're a Tigers fan, you want to know that things in the organization are improving in terms of, you know, like the locker room stuff and the team plan. Like, that stuff's important. And then you want to know, like, is this being done to make the team as good as it could possibly be? These kinds of things. Do we know that for a fact right now? Is there anything tangible that we can throw at? Is like, how, how do you how do you even assess like this new wave of injury prevention, injury management that the Tigers are going through without actually knowing anything? You know, I wrote about this because it was such a huge story last year. Defining story of last year's team was the injuries, the amount of injuries specifically to pitching, specifically to young pitching. And then you get a new head trainer and you get a new strength coach and you people lost their jobs over what happened last year. And then we show up and kind of not really talking about it anymore. And I was like, we need to talk about this. I think the fans want to know what's different. You know, the fans want to know. Can we trust that our guys' arms aren't going to fall off this year? And how much of it is was actually systemic? How much of it was just what happens when you're playing sports? Hard to know, but I think by the end of last year, we started to really get some subtle answers that some things had to change. Tigers were, believe it or not, behind the times in terms of athletic training. There was not enough happening on the front end in terms of injury prevention. It doesn't seem like there's the amount of data or science Um, biomechanical stuff going into the way players are being looked at, the way that can then inform uh, what their mechanics should be, how they should best take care of their bodies, ways that that, that injuries might be able to be prevented. So we know that, and really we don't know much more. So I'm not going to gas up the Tigers too much for doing doing things right because if, if if you want that praise tell me what you're doing differently and they <laughs> they, they don't want to say anything it's it's one of the weirder things in sports and it's not unique to the tigers teams tend to be very uh secretive about this type of stuff they view it as a, as a competitive advantage which i guess makes sense it's also kind of like said probably be better for the state of the game if teams would all collaborate on like here's what we figured out is the best way to keep our players healthy uh, but you know, I get it. If you're a team that and you're doing something that you think no one else is, uh, and you want to win your division, I don't necessarily need the Royals to know what I'm doing in my training room. So I, I guess I get it. Um, it would have been nice to get a little more specific, and there was more reporting that went into this story than just what's on the paper. You know, talk to some other people who also pretty much said like nothing. So. Uh, I can assure you things are being done differently, at least per what I'm told. I can't tell you exactly what. I can tell you it probably relates to um, the blanket list of words that no one is quite sure what they mean. Science, data, biomechanics, all that all that good stuff. Uh, but it was also noticeable a couple of players talked to seem like they haven't necessarily sensed the difference yet. Um, you think about it from a player's perspective and you just kind of have all these new faces walking around and you're not quite sure who they are. You meet with them about one little thing and then, you know, they have to get to know these new staffers and that takes time. And 
some of it, you know, what's different, you probably don't figure out until, unfortunately, you actually get injured or you were deemed at risk for injury. And then suddenly you probably learn a lot more about the process. I, I actually understand why maybe players haven't felt uh, the differences as much. I can't tell you just walking around. I mean, since uh, there's this nutrition team that didn't seem to exist in the past that's, you know, people walking around wearing, like, Tiger's nutrition shirts and they brought some fancy scale into the clubhouse and, you know, different types of equipment being used for, like, workouts and warm-ups. And uh, the guy the guy who was hired from the, well, the Cubs, and he worked in the NFL prior, this guy is jacked. Looks like he could be, like, an NFL running back almost. Like, I, I would take my strength and training advice from him. So that is, I should have put that in the story. That's really my main, like, visual takeaway. This guy looks looks badass. I'll do whatever he tells me. <laughs> Maybe him and him and George can match up uh, a little <laughs> spring training flag football game or whatever. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think the the one thing that's in your story and, and Dickerson has talked about a little bit over the course of some broadcasts. Uh, I'm I'm a big believer just in general. I, I, a little advice for everybody: you you listen to Dan because Dan knows. Dan things. knows. And, Dan knows. And Dan has the ability to give you like a little bit of a little bit of glimpse without offending his employers obviously the tigers and 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 one of the things that that he's talked about is you know recognizing when like a pitcher is in a situation where he's more susceptible to injuries uh things like arm angles you know your degree your 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 degrees are falling which means you're fatigued which means you know so we got to figure out blah 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 uh and you have you wrote about this last year during the season and then you reiterated it uh in this story last week about like it's it's a it's a change of approach i i know i'm here i am just saying the same big right right but (laughs) but it's it's a change of approach it's it's a change in like trying to get ahead of this as best you can while knowing that you're always going to be behind whereas previous regime it seemed like treat the symptoms bandage you know metaphorically and then you know move on from there whereas it seems like more stuff is being done in the front end is that like is there really a better way to summarize that that's all I can tell you for now. I wrote a whole story that somehow doesn't tell you much. It was great. Classic. I mean, NAJ's great. AJ actually does give a lot of information and, and very informative manager. But this was like classic AJ. Asked him like four questions about it and got all these quotes and then kind of read over him. It's like, none of this actually says anything. <laughs> you know? So go read the story if you want to continue to be slightly mystified by the realm of injury prevention. Well, I guess, you know, guys to monitor would be like Scooble. Like, Scooble's yeah. going through this rehab, which, side note, I appreciate giving the updates, you know, the injury updates, but it is, I do kind of, like, chuckle a little bit where it's like, Tarek Scooble is throwing five times a week. And I think it's been the same one, like, every single time they've released or whatever. <laughs> and, look, I appreciate it. It's, it's more, it, it's, a tra- it's a level of transparency that they don't, not every team does, you know, but it, it is just kind of funny. And then same thing with Casey where it's like he's throwing 90 feet and it's like it's been that for three weeks, but it it's part of the process. Uh, so, yeah, those guys would be the interesting case studies because they're, in theory, going through rehabs that would have been different had this regime not come in. All right, so let's move on to uh, what I thought was your more fa- your most fascinating story of the week. It's a fascinating guy in camp. And that is Brendan White. So I, I read the story. I'm relatively familiar with the story. Obviously, you go into details on this. You can read it if you're a subscriber to The Athletic. He is another guy. He's not the only one that we've talked about over the course of us doing this pod together. He's another guy that is just a, a member of our phil, philosoph- philosophy family, philosophical family. There you go. Got the word out. And the bet on yourself in Double Down. Because most reasonable people would not advise somebody with another year of college eligibility um, to go pro when you're a 26-round pick. And then, so the your odds are long in general. 
they're way longer when you're when you're picked yeah. at that you know at, at, and it, there's not even a 26 round anymore right it just stops at 25 is that what it is yep 20 so 20 20 20 uh so case Bo- Bo- you know, garrett him. hill brennan white would not be drafted at all in today's climate wild to think about and then the pandemic happens i thought you did a really good job because i don't think we I just don't think we're conscious of that enough about like how mm-hmm. much the COVID pandemic. And again, we're talking about things that are less serious than life and death, right? But like in terms of the baseball metric of it, like the the COVID pandemic like screwed so many aspiring ball players, guys who are trying to you know prolong their careers, you know that kind of thing. And he and he's an, an example of overcoming that. Uh, and so you wrote, he's got this wicked slider. He's got this great story. He doesn't have a great body. Uh, what, what is this Brendan white thing? Like, why did he get added to the 40 man? And what can we even like reasonably expect from this guy? Well, he got added to the 40 man because he's a really good pitcher. He's a guy who's going to pitch in a major league bullpen pretty soon. I wouldn't be shocked if it's at some point this year. And I was, you know, I talked to Brendan. I'd been, I'd been kind of hyping, bring it up a little bit and I got to thinking about it and it's like, how do you even, how do you even explain this? That was, that was my question. I went up to him and I was like, so did you just feel like you didn't get exposure when you were in college or were you a late bloomer? And the answer is probably a little bit of both, but he's, he basically said, look, I was a late bloomer. I was smaller than everyone in high school. I didn't throw hard in high school. Sounds like he barely did enough to, I mean, he still got an offer at, at Siena. So it's not like he, sucked you know i mean he must have been a, a decent player but it was his only d1 offer a small d1 school in the northeast not really a, a baseball powerhouse or anything and he threw strikes you know but he didn't throw very hard and over time you know he gets a college strength and conditioning program starts to get stronger at naturally grows up adds a little more velo and he's like he's like an all right college pitcher um and it is pretty wild of just like how much can change he added a slider and something about this guy's hands and his delivery and his grip is a wicked slider 3,000 revolutions per minute as much as almost anyone in the big leagues and he goes and hones it in cape cod he actually got beat around in cape cod his era was like six something but then comes back to sienna and shoves as a junior and does just enough to get noticed someone takes a chance on him in the 26th round and again, these are the type of guys who aren't really supposed to make it. And then he comes out of the gates and has done nothing but succeed in the minors and continue to get better every year in the minors. Now he's on the 40 man. Now he uh, is probably going to pitch at the big leagues at some point. So in my story, I just tried to explain all that in a little more detail. How did this guy get here? How did he um, seemingly improve so much in a short amount of time? And, you know, I, I'm not trying to say he has a sky high ceiling or whatever, but he's probably going to spend several years pitching in a major league bullpen. And um, his slider is legit. I mean, his slider is really, really nasty. And that's that's going to bode well for him in the future. Yeah, I mean, is he he's another example of what I was talking about earlier in regards to the how I feel about relief pitchers where you can you can have your Will Vests and that's fine. And you can have your Brandon Whites and that's fine. And, and these guys are going to figure out a way to get to the big leagues. And then there's going to be some sort of roster construction that they, you know, go down and then, you know, that's going to be their journey and that's fine. You know, (laughs) that's, it's, it's it's still an okay life. You still achieved a a dream that millions have. So uh, it's fun reading about somebody who was able to hone in on that. And you talk to his college coach. So like I said, I recommend, Recommend reading that story if uh, if you guys subscribe to The Athletic. And, you know, also not lost on me is a guy who didn't have the physical profile and also made it through. So, the, like, you know, that add that to the, to the long list of odds achieved. And also, in a, in a way, why it is why we go through the dog days of spring training or whatever. But there's, like, a reminder as to, like, why we still you know still love it even though it's not important in terms of the team that will eventually you know break camp and all that stuff but guys like that it's you know trying to achieve their dreams never gets old um and so it, it i don't know beauty of baseball really uh the the brandon white story 
All right, Cody, anything else you want to get into? I think that covers it for now. I'll be back in Lakeland uh, a week from now, and, and we'll hit the ground running, and suddenly we will be pretty close to final cuts and the regular season. I would really just say, you know, if you're going out, you're celebrating St. Patrick's Day, do so responsibly. Do not be like the people I saw Saturday in Royal Oak. It was messy. Yeah, I just can't. I'm got a little bit of a tan from the St. Patrick's Day celebration in Dallas. Uh, had myself a had myself a good and safe time. Use public transportation to get to it. All right, so all right, good. Every, I, every, I, everybody, please be safe out there. All right, so I want to thank everybody for listening, following on Twitter, at Cody Stavenhagen, at Kieran underscore Steckley, and at Turn Corner Pod. Got a couple things planned for the home opener. We'll keep that tease right there. Thank you for subscribing to The Athletics. So you can read all of Cody's work and subscribing to this podcast on Apple and Spotify. And if you subscribe to YouTube videos, we have ourselves a YouTube page as well. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have an amazing day.